Well, it is Christmas time, or said another way, right? Three days until Christmas, right? Are you ready? Are you ready? If you have little ones, maybe it goes like this. Three more sleeps, or three more night times until it comes, right? You remember how it was when you were a kid, right? Man, it's just like, get it here, get it here. Let's get to that moment. Let's get those presents. Let's, let's make it happen here. You know, waiting, waiting is a challenge, isn't it? Waiting, and it, we don't totally grow beyond that as adults. Maybe what we're waiting for is a little different, but waiting can be a challenge. You know, waiting is actually one of the things that God uses the most as part of the process of helping us become who and what he has designed us to be. And maybe if you're ready for Christmas, you think three days seems like a long wait. But as you think about the events of the Christmas story, when the gospels open up, they've been waiting for hundreds of years. In fact, there's about 400 years or so between the closing of the Old Testament and the beginning of the Gospels. A thousand years since uh, David was promised the one who would remain on the throne forever. There is a waiting. But in that waiting, God is at work. You know, Christmas is a whole lot of things. But one of the things that Christmas is, it's a reminder It's a reminder of God's sovereign timing in our lives. And we don't always like the timing. We don't always agree with the timing. But it is a reminder of God's sovereign timing in our lives. Let me just remind you of a couple things that the Bible tells us about timing. And the first is that God is aware of everything in our lives. Everything in my life and yours, God is aware of. The psalmist put it this way, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, yet as yet there was none of them. God is aware of all the details. Uh, uh, Jesus talked about the very hairs of our head being numbered. He's aware of all the details, and God has a perfect timing for our lives. God has a perfect timing for our lives. The writer of Ecclesiastes summed it up this way. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And while we sense that, that God has a timing and, and everything is, is beautiful and perfect at its time, uh, yet there's so much of it we don't fully understand, we can't fully comprehend. But as we think about Christmas and the events that we celebrate as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that Christ came in God's perfect timing. Paul put it this way, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In the fullness of time, 
And while maybe for, for most of us here, we, we would affirm all of those things I just quickly ran through, at least intellectually in our head, in our life, the challenge comes because very often, God's time seems like the wrong time, doesn't it? God's time seems like the wrong time. I don't have the bandwidth for this. I can't handle this now. This is too much. Goodness come in another season of my life. Or why hasn't it happened yet? What's taking so long? Why hasn't that door opened? Why hasn't that problem been solved? Why hasn't this thing gone away? The very often, God's time seems like the wrong time. And I have to think, and you put yourself back in the shoes as inadequately as we can of Mary and Joseph, it probably all seemed like the wrong time, didn't it? And particularly for now pregnant Mary to suddenly find out, you've just won a trip to Bethlehem, right? (laughs) Oh boy. And yet, it was God's time and God's place even if it seemed like the wrong person, the wrong time, and the wrong place. Luke chapter two, familiar words if you have been acquainted with uh, the scriptures around Christmas time. Luke chapter two, the first seven verses. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Familiar words, but let's try to step into them for just a moment, because very often God's time seems like the wrong time. And you know, this whole thing of the birth of Christ, the journey to Bethlehem, for Mary, it must have felt like the wrong time on so many levels, right? I mean, think about it. Her marriage was not yet consummated, right? God, couldn't you like have waited and maybe even sprung this on us on like a wedding night or something so we'd had a little more coverage? No, it had to happen like a long time in advance. Their homeland was occupied territory. Uh, They weren't even living in a a free country, a free society. There were limits. There were foreign invaders that had occupied the land that dictated so much of their daily lives. And then on top of all of that, then they decide right here, right now, that this is the time for a census. Are you kidding me? And that census is not where you can stay in your house and somebody comes to you. No, 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 no. You have to travel all this way to go back to kind of this place where your husband's family is from. This is totally disrupting her life, right? And the journey was not going to be an easy one. It's going to be difficult, right? I mean, it's not like, oh, well, let's hop into the car and run up to Charlotte real quick, right? 
I mean, no, this, this was, this was a, a difficult journey, particularly when you're near to the point of delivering a child. And then as she thought about being in Bethlehem, it's not like uh, uh, they said, well, there's a great women's center there. There's a great maternity ward there, right? No, no, no. I, I, there was this support system that was pulled out from underneath her. It was most likely her mom and baby sisters or whoever else, we don't know who was involved. Friend, they weren't all going to the same place. They weren't all going to Bethlehem. And so this support system that you thought was going to be around you when your child was born suddenly is taken away from you. And we won't spend a whole lot of time just talking about the whole housing situation was inadequate, right? I mean, I know some of you got some relatives coming to live with you and some of them seem like slobs, right? But I mean, I mean come on, they're not animals, right? <laughs> I mean, come on, right? I mean, the, the, the situation was like totally inadequate. And we could go on and on and on with this list, couldn't we? That understandably, from Mary's perspective, God's timing in all this was way, way off. And yet, as we step back and look, we understand that in light of prophecy, the timing was perfect. The timing was perfect, that, that God had, had, had aligned all of these things according to what he had already been telling them all along the way. He reminded us uh, through the words of the prophet, sometimes hundreds of years before this event, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And here in God's timing, he's bringing all of that to bear. Uh, the, through prophecy, we know that the Messiah would come from the nation of Israel. Galatians 3, uh, Paul looking back and pulling that out. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offspring springs, plural, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This, this promised one, this one promised, even, even as far back as, as the first chapters of Genesis, but certainly to, to Abraham. And now Paul connects the dots for us along the way. Uh, but he would also come, this Messiah, even more specifically from the tribe of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes for to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, that, that not only was this Messiah going to come, but he was going to come very specifically from the tribe of Judah, but even more narrowly was going to come from the house and the lineage of David. Uh, the, to David uh, there in 2 Samuel, and David was, was wanting to build the temple and wasn't going to be allowed to do that, and God reiterates this promise. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise Raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom 
forever. Now connect that back with what the angel told Mary in Luke chapter 1 as as he's telling her what is about to take place. In verse 32 of Luke 1, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This prophecy made, this now prophecy being fulfilled, and then just one more example of that, that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem was going to be born in Bethlehem. And so God in his sovereignty knows how to get Mary from from Nazareth to Bethlehem just in time. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is able to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient Days In light of prophecy, it was God's perfect time. Uh, But even if we look back in light of history, the timing was perfect. The timing was perfect. There was the scattering of the Jewish people. Uh, They were living in occupied territory, and the Jewish people had been scattered uh, throughout the Roman world. And these pockets of Jewish gatherings became kind of a landing place for Paul and others who would go forth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's almost like God had sent this advanced team in all of these different parts of the world so that when folks started to go forth with the gospel, they would have a place to land. They would have a beginning place for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was also a favorable legal environment. Uh, While while the Romans could be quite oppressive, uh, they got to the point of being so frustrated with the Jews uh, that they actually gave them a little bit of leeway. They allowed the Jews to practice their religion. So legally, they had a little bit of a different status than some of the other conquered people. Now, why is that significant? Because for the first uh, few decades, Christianity kind of flew under the radar as kind of a, a subset of Judaism, if you will. And so, in those early stages, they had this legal covering of being able to practice a religion that wasn't totally aligned uh, with the official uh, religion of the Roman world. And so, they started off with this favorable legal environment. It was also a favorable political environment. There was the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, And so there weren't all these wars raging back and forth. Rome had already conquered. Rome was in control. And in light of that, there was was this peace. There was this uh, attention had been now turned from wars to building this great road system that connected the different parts of the Roman Empire. And it was along those roads that the gospel of Jesus Christ would travel. It was a favorable uh, political environment. It was a favorable cultural environment. In God's timing, they came and under this Roman Empire, there was this language, this common language 
language of the business of the world, this, this common Greek language. And that Greek language became something that could go from place to place to place, and it could be a, a tool of communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there was this favorable philosophical environment, a, favor, a favorable philosophical environment that, that Greek philosophers have been asking questions and wrestling with questions for quite some time, but hadn't fully and adequately come up with the answers. Uh, one writer put it this way, Greek philosophy plowed the fields. Seed of God's truth was sown in those fields. Lives and minds and thinkings had been opened up. They'd kind of been tilled, if you will, uh, by Greek philosophy. And into that environment, and you see Paul doing that in Athens and other places, the, the seed of God's truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, could go forth. What seemed like the wrong time from Mary's personal perspective, we can look back on and begin to see it was a great time. It was the right time. It was God's fullness of time. But that still begs the question, when God's time doesn't feel like the right time, when God's way doesn't feel like the right way, how do I respond? How do I respond when God's timing and methods don't make sense? Well, I think Mary is our example of this. Earlier, before this say, movement of the family from Nazareth to Bethlehem, Mary had settled some things in her heart and life. Luke 1, verses 37 and 38, as the angel is giving her this impossible assignment, he reminds her, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary's response, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I want you to see three things there, and I want to give you three stories to go along with the three things. The first is, before this journey to Bethlehem even started, Mary had already pre-decided some things. She had pre-decided to trust in God's power and wisdom and love. For nothing will be impossible with our God. And she trusted in his power, his wisdom, and, and his in, incredible, incredible love. And as we think about that, I, I think about a, a story uh, of Steve Saint. Steve Saint was a Christian worker. And in the mid-1980s, he was traveling uh, across the country of Mali. And his car broke down. And stranded and alone, he, he tried to rent a truck despite warning after warning that he wouldn't survive in the Sahara Desert. And after he failed to find a truck, he was just filled with fear and discouragement, and his thoughts raced back to his father. Maybe you know his name, Nate Saint. Nate was a former missionary in Ecuador. And when Steve was only five years old, natives had speared to death his dad and four other missionaries. Now, 30 years later, 
Steve found himself questioning his father's death. He reflected, I couldn't help but think the murders were capricious, an accident of bad timing. When Steve asked some locals for directions to a church, a few of them led him to a tiny mud brick house with a poster on the wall showing wounded hands covering a cross. A man with flowing robes introduced himself as Nuaf Infa Yatara. News started sharing with Steve about his faith in Christ. After becoming a Christian, his family had disowned him. His mother even put a sorcerer's poison in News' food at the family feast, and yet he ate the food and had no ill effects. When Steve asked New why he was willing to pay such a steep price for following Christ, he simply said, I know God loves me, and I'll live with him forever. But Steve kept pressing. Where did your courage come from? New explained that when he was young, a missionary had given him books about Christians who had suffered for their faith. And then he added, my favorite, my favorite was about five young men who risked their lives to take God's good news to people in the jungles of Ecuador. The book said that they'd let themselves be speared to death even though they had guns and could have killed the attackers. Utterly shocked. Steve said, one of those men was my father. Now New felt stunned. Your father. Then he went on and told Steve that God had used the death of those five brave missionaries to help him, a young Muslim who had become a Christian, to hold on to his faith. And many had come to Christ because of this young man's bold witness. What do you do when God's time seems to be the wrong time? When God's methods seem to be the wrong methods? You trust. You trust in God's power, in God's wisdom, and in God's love. But Mary did a second thing. She had pre-decided before Bethlehem to submit to God's sovereignty, to submit herself fully to God's sovereignty. I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. And whatever he says, whatever he does, whatever timing he chooses, I am the Lord's servant. Buck O'Neill was a black man who played professional baseball before African Americans were allowed to play in what at the time was the all-white major leagues. By the time the color barrier had been broken in 1947, O'Neill was considered too old to play in the big leagues, as were most of his teammates. Many of his friends grew bitter about their missed opportunities. But O'Neill writes, at a reunion of the Negro League players in Ashland, Kentucky, a reporter from Sports Illustrated asked me if I had any regrets coming along as I did before Jackie Robinson integrated the major leagues. And this is what I told him then. 
Waste no tears for me. I didn't come along too early. I was right on time. I don't have a bitter story. I truly believe I have been blessed. In fact, is the title of O'Neill's book reflects his cheerful optimism and his belief in the sovereignty of God. Despite missing fame and fortune, O'Neill chose to title his autobiography, I Was Right on Time. I was right on time. What do you do when God's time feels like the wrong time? When his methods don't make sense? You trust in his power, love, and wisdom. You submit to his authority. I don't fully understand it, but I was right on time. Then there's one other thing that Mary modeled, and that is obey God's directions. You obey God's directions. Oh, it doesn't make sense for, for me to be, carry this child when my marriage is not yet consummated, but I'm the Lord's servant. It doesn't make sense when I'm near to giving birth for us to, to leave family and friends and support systems and everything we know and make this difficult journey to Bethlehem, but I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me. As you have said, it really isn't obedience if it fully makes sense to you, is it? That's just doing what makes sense to you. Where the rub of obedience comes in is when the calling of God, the commands of God, the timing and direction of God contradicts what at least initially to you and your flesh seems to make perfect sense. Henry Nguyen died just a few years ago, but not long before his death, wrote a book entitled Sabbatical, Sabbatical, excuse me, Sabbatical Journeys. And in it, he writes about some friends of his who were trapeze artists. And they were with, with a circus and and their lives had an effect on him. They were called the Flying Rodellas. And one thing that they told Henry is that there's a very special relationship between the flyer and the catcher on the trapeze. Can't you imagine? <laughs> if I'm the flyer, I want that relationship to be really, really good, right? The flyer's the one that lets go and flies through the air, right? The, the catcher is the one who's connected to another trapeze and does the catching. But as you might uh, imagine, while this uh, relationship is important, th- there's a high level of, of trust. When the flyer is swinging high above the crowd on the trapeze, The moment comes when he or she must let go. They arc out into the air, and their job at that moment is to let go and then to remain as still as possible and to wait for the strong hands of the catcher to pluck them from the air. The trapeze artist told Nguyen, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must wait in absolute trust, and the catcher will catch him, but he must 
wait. Some of you may be at a vulnerable moment this Christmas. It may be that you feel like God's calling you to let go of something. But you want to hang on because it doesn't seem like the right time and it it doesn't seem to make sense. Or maybe you've already let go, but it doesn't seem to be working out as quick as you thought it was. The catcher hadn't arrived yet. And maybe you're tempted to start flailing about and figuring it out yourself. But in that moment, in that moment, you're going to have to trust the catcher enough to let go of whatever was your security, whatever it is that you were hanging on so tight to. And in an act of trust and an act of obedience, you let go and you reach up and you wait. You wait for God's timing, for God's purpose, and God's method. And you wait for his strong hands to meet you in that moment of obedience. What do you do when God's time seems like the wrong time? When God's methods don't make sense? You trust in his power his love and his wisdom you submit to his authority his sovereignty his timing and you obey everything that God has directed you to obey so let's take this out of yesteryear and let's bring it home can we just some quick questions that I hope the Holy Spirit might be able to leverage in my life and yours. Where in my life am I struggling to understand God's timing? Sometimes it just helps to put a name on that. This is the area, this is the relationship, this is the situation where I'm struggling to understand God's timing. Can you name it today? Where am I finding it difficult to wait on God's timing? You would say, I've been praying about this. I've been trying to be obedient. I've been trying to keep showing up and doing the right thing, but the catcher hadn't caught me yet. Where are you finding it difficult today to wait on God's timing? Well, I trust God even when I don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why this is happening now. I don't understand why that opportunity didn't come my way. I don't understand why this thing did come my way. Well, I trust God, even when I don't understand. Well, I submit to God's sovereignty, even when his time seems like the wrong time. And finally, while I obey his commands and directions, even when I cannot fully comprehend his methods and his ways. Because that's what it means to live 
in light of the Christmas story. That's what it looks like to live as one who has truly opened up their life to the first and the greatest of Christmas gifts, the gift that's absolutely worth waiting for. Would you bow your heads with me this morning, please? Oh, Father, thank you. (laughs) Thank you that you are always in time and on time, even though it's not our time. (laughs) Thank you, Father, that you are at work in every life in this room. When we recognize it and when we don't, when we sense it, when we don't, when we want it and when we don't. And Father, we just praise you and thank you for that. And Lord, in our impatience, in our arrogance, in our selfishness, in our small-mindedness, we don't want to miss you. We don't want to miss your timing. We don't want to miss your best. We don't want to hang on to that which we should let go of or fail to grasp that which you're calling us to take hold of. And so, Father, I just pray right here, right now, in these last few moments that we have together, would you teach us anew and afresh? Would you strengthen us to be able to walk with you fully and completely, even when your time seems like the wrong time? And I'm just going to ask you just to be still in the presence of the Father for just a moment or two more.